Hello, Hyrock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the Gospel of Luke. And just as a reminder, the last passage we covered uh, was when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And uh, Peter was able to respond saying that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus made that, uh, used that confession to create a direct connection to telling them about some of the things that the Messiah would have to suffer. And so we're now in Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 45, where we read this. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them, and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, after they had come down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? Then he said to the man, bring your son here. As the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. Awe gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. While everyone was marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Listen to me and remember what I say. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. But they didn't know what he meant. Its significance was hidden from them, so they couldn't understand it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is a very... Uh, uh, confusing and powerful uh, scene. Um, I guess one thing that I hadn't realized before, uh, somehow it, it, it jumped out to me uh, this time around, was that uh, Peter and the other disciples once again <laughs> sleep through something really important. Uh, they're, they, they miss some of the meat of what's going on and, and come in after the scene, only understanding afterwards. Uh, so Jesus is on the mountain. As he's praying, he begins to be transformed, or in reality, he begins to uh, be revealed for who he truly is. And there with him are Moses and Elijah. There's a number of things we could say about that. Probably the most direct is simply that Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets, which is another way of saying the scriptures. This is kind of like a living parable in the same way you might say that the Old Testament bears witness to Jesus. Uh, well, here, literally, the law and the prophets represented by Moses as an Elijah are bearing witness to who Jesus is. Um, but then when Moses, uh, when Moses, when Peter wakes up, he says this thing, he blurts it out. He says, let's make a monument to the three of you. 
which kind of puts them all on the same plane. And he's, he's kind of still, Peter's still not getting it, but bless his heart. Like he's, he's willing to put himself out there and the voice from the cloud, which fills them with terror. Um, and the cloud, of course, reminds them of God. That's the way God traveled with them in the Exodus. And the Exodus is even referred to here with Jesus is uh, departing from this world as being in Exodus. Uh, that's uh, the presence of God saying, this is my son. Like this is, uh, you should listen to him, which is the same thing that God said at the baptism. And so it's reaffirming this identity that Jesus is not just another person like Moses and Elijah. Jesus is uh, the son of God, or maybe a, a way I like to say it sometimes is God the son, to, to put that the part about being God first. There's God the father, there's God the son, and God the spirit. And this is God the son, not just another Moses, not just another Elijah, but, uh, but far elevated above all of them. And then putting this all together, and I made reference earlier in an introduction to the previous passage, when uh, Peter confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus explained what that means, saying that he was going to have to suffer. He said the, Messiah, the Son of Man must suffer and explained all these different types of suffering, including um, being dead and being raised again. And then the second implication Jesus drew from that is that if we want to follow, that's the path that Jesus is walking. And if we want to be followers of Christ, we also are going to have to pick up our cross and die daily, that we are also going to have to pay a cost and suffer. And I think Jesus here is kind of taking a, a, a more serious tone with his disciples because he's recognizing that he only has a little while left with them. He's he's already sent out the 12. Uh, that's what happened right before the confession. He's already sent them out on their own. He's he's in, in equipping them to do much more ministry. And, and here they're not even able to carry on, uh, you know, like this person comes to Jesus, like, you know, you're, I, I brought him to your other disciples, but they couldn't cast the demon out. Can you do something about it? And, and Jesus is realizing he's going to have to hand over everything to these 12 who, who one, don't seem to get it. And, and two, don't seem to be able to do the ministry that Jesus has been doing. And yet in a very short time, he's going to have to hand everything over to these 12. So it really is this kind of, uh, kind of crisis point in the story as Luke lays out the gospel. Uh, Dave, I'm wondering what you see in today's passage. You know, a few things that just stick out to me that are some of them a little bit tangential, but I just, I think they're valuable to point out. Um, you know, I know that in churches, oftentimes there's uh, the, the, the charge made against any kind of Christian community, church or a college fellowship or whatever, a youth group. I mean, any of these um, that, oh, it's, it's so clicky. And, uh, and I, you know, I hear that all the time. And part of me, of course, wants to reply is like, yes, they're human. And, and clicky, of course, has a very negative connotation. And it suggests that it's exclusive, elitist, all of that is very negative. Um, but there, there's a difference between being clicky and recognizing that there's different layers of intimacy. And so here, Jesus has been teaching all of the disciples, but now he just takes Peter, John, and James up on the mountain to pray. And we're going to see many times where Jesus takes those three. You know, there, there's, are they a click? I, I don't think we would apply that to Jesus. Uh, but they, they have a different level of intimacy than he even does with the other disciples, right? And so you know, we talk often about how we've got intimate relationships, right? Which, you know, kind of one to three people, uh, you know, your, your mom or your spouse or whatever. And then uh, these personal relationships, which are going to be somewhere between three and 12, right? Of course, what Jesus has. And then we have social relationships, which is going to be a group, you know, we usually think it up to about 75. Well, very soon Jesus can be sending out the 72, right? I mean, 
you know, we, we see Jesus following these things that modern sociologists think they've discovered. Uh, and Jesus, of course, is doing it, you know, long beforehand. But it's not clicky. It's building the culture of, a, of this community by investing more deeply in certain people that but then make for an inclusive kind of community, not an exclusive one. It's not elitist. In fact, in, in Jesus' case, it's the very opposite of that. But the, I'm just saying this to make the point that in churches, there are going to be people who you're closer to and people you're less close to, right? Some are going to be your intimate relationships, others personal, others social, others your public relationships. That's the fourth sphere that, that uh, sociologists often use. That we're going to, you know, people will be in different spheres and all of them can be friends and all of those kind of relationships are important. Uh, but, but I think that we sometimes have these unrealistic utopian ideas of just everybody's equal friends with everybody, equally intimate with everybody. But the fact that we see Jesus doing this maybe suggests that it's, it's okay to have these different layers and you're not going to be best friends with everyone. doesn't mean you don't love everyone. It means you don't like everybody the same. And, and those two things can go together. Um, the, uh, so that I, I realized that's a small point. Um, second small point I want to make is right at the very end, right? That was the, the very beginning of the passage you read right at the very end of the passage you read, um, was, uh, he's now said he's going to be betrayed in the hands of his enemies, as you pointed out, but then verse 45, but they didn't know what he meant. They couldn't understand it. They were afraid to ask him about it. And I just want to remind you, these are the disciples, right? And, and not only the disciples, these are the intimate disciples, right? This is Peter, James, and John. And, uh, and so he was, you know, th these guys have just seen all this other stuff. They still just don't get it. Now, Jesus is gathered back with the rest of the disciples. This is probably the whole 12, but, but still they've been traveling with Jesus now all this time. They, even they, they've seen all of these things and they still don't quite get who he is. The reason I'm making a big deal about this, I think a lot of us feel uh, a little ashamed of the questions that we have, the doubts that we have, the confusion that we have. God is too big for us to comprehend. And so the fact that it takes us a little while to wrap our heads around it, to, to sort of begin to see a little bit about more, who, more about who God is, well, I don't think there's any reason to be ashamed of that. And so I think we just need to extend ourselves grace. Keep learning, keep walking with Jesus, keep following, keep asking those questions, but don't be ashamed to have them. And, uh, and so that's where I think it's too bad that they are afraid to ask him about it. I think too often we're afraid to ask our own questions. And that's what keeps us from being able to get to the answers a little more quickly. The last point I'm going to make, which is the big one, and I'll be brief about it. But I actually think the whole, like the, the major point of this transfiguration, right? Yes, there is, it's Jesus being revealed for what he really is, right? Now, finally, they can see, right? He's, he's less cloaked in his humanity, uh, right? They'll be able to now see through that a little bit more easily. Um, but I think the most important reason why it's done and why it's done now is, yes, so the law and the prophets can testify, uh, but it's so that Peter and James and John can hear that voice from the cloud, God's voice saying, this is my son, right? My, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. This is key because Jesus just announced he's going to die. And we know that Peter immediately said, no, Lord, this shall never happen to you, right? <laughs> no, stop. And, and God is now sort of reaffirming who this is and saying, listen to him. Jesus is saying, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to suffer and die. And they're like, no, 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 that's not a good thing. And God's saying, this is my Messiah. Listen to him. And I think that's so much of it is they, 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 what Jesus was saying 
seemed so unexpected, so impossible that, that they were, you know, they couldn't believe it. And so God's trying to affirm, listen to him. And I think that for us is probably the, the, the right answer. So oftentimes I don't understand what God is doing in my life either. And in the moment when, you know, I, I feel like following Jesus is going in the wrong direction, right? And we've all had those moments. My goodness, I've had those moments so many times. And I just think, am I being an idiot to, to follow Jesus this way? And, and I think in those moments, what I actually really need is a reminder of who Jesus is. This is the God who loves me. This is the God who saves me. This is the God who wants good for me. And so, okay, I don't get why I, I, he's leading me this direction at this moment, but I don't necessarily need to understand that part. What I need to know is this is the God who came to save me. Okay, I'll believe that he's leading me towards salvation even now. And I think that so much is what allows us to walk in places that we don't want to go or we don't understand. Uh, it allows us to walk in faith. It's not in faith that, you know, oh, I'll figure this out at some point. No, it's faith. God knows already, and God cares for me completely. And I think that's really the faith that lets us continue to follow Jesus. I'll say that for myself, uh, when I've needed to hear that voice, it's I've really had to lean on having close spiritual friends who, who know me, who know God, and are able to advise me when, you know, when I'm walking in the darkness and they're in a position where they can see more clearly that I can lean on them and trust them. And uh, that's what it's been for me is I need those kind of people who can speak into my life. Amen. Amen. Well, can I pray for us? Yeah, let's do that. Lord, so often, like the disciples, we don't know why you're doing what you're doing. We don't know where you're leading us. God, we want the eyes to see you, to see who you are. Not necessarily to see the destination, but to see the one who's leading us. God, I pray that you would give us the eyes today in the places where we're discouraged, to the places where we're doubting your instructions. God, I pray that you would give us the eyes to see you, the one who loves us and laid down your life to save us. God, I pray that you give us the eyes to see that we could follow in faith in who you are and your unending love for us. God, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, everyone, once again, thank you for joining us as we walk through the Gospel of Luke, and I hope you're able to come back and join us again tomorrow. Go in peace.